Well, hey, this is the second week of the series, Disappointed. Last week, we talked about being disappointed with other people in our lives. Next week, we're going to be talking about being disappointed with God. Don't think I'm being, going to be a heretic. I'll promise I'll redeem that. But this week is being disappointed with yourself. And this is the one that we don't often talk about or deal with because it's internal of sorts. But let me kind of let you know what disappointment does. What happens when you're disappointed with yourself? Um, do we, does everybody have handouts? If you don't have handouts, we'll run them to you real quick. Just lift your hand and we'll get your handouts. Anybody need handouts? Self-disappointment is the silent torment. It's not one, if you go to the next fill, and self-disappointment is the silent torment. It's not one that you sit around and talk about all the time. It's not one that you tend to be very proud of when you've disappointed yourself. It's not something you want to go to Starbucks or dwell and share with everybody. Let me just tell you how I'm disappointed with myself. We often are our worst enemy when it comes to personal disappointment. We're the toughest on ourselves. We apply the most pressure to ourselves. We often, which kind of goes along with the next thing, we often make ourselves pay for the times we've let ourselves down. This is kind of an interesting dichotomy because it's a war going on between you and you. And you have, this, you have this part of you that has let you down and the other part of you is disappointed that that part of you has let you down. And there really is no way to deal with that. Who, may, who really sits down and deals with themselves? But God will show us a way. Here's what happens when we let disappointment in ourselves come to take its sense. It creates a sense of unworthiness. This is where people's thought life becomes that everybody else is better than me. Everybody else has it more together in me. Everybody else, else has had more blessing or better fortune in their lives than I. And so it creates that unworthiness that there, there must be something wrong with me that these things happen to me and not just that they happen to me, but that I deserved them somehow happening to me. It also creates a sense of, of dirtiness, of filthiness, that we think that we're uh, damaged goods, that we have somehow... Uh, gone beyond the being acceptable to other people. It's uh, just quite frankly, it's just not being pleased with yourself. If there's one thing that people deal with on a grand, grand scale is that they're not pleased with themselves. Can I take it or uh, just a, a, a little route here? When people aren't pleased with themselves, they overcompensate for it. They'll overcompensate trying to make themselves acceptable to other people. And so it's kind of an over, overdone. They try to make themselves accepted by others because inside they're not pleased with themselves. Have you ever, you know, seen that with somebody? They're just overly confident and you're like, you're a jerk. And what, what, what is that from? That's from not being, having an inward satisfaction with yourself. And so you overplay it. And in overplaying it, everybody else sees that you're just trying to be something that you're not, which is the next thing is that it's not liking who you are. That that disappointment comes to a place where you like, I don't like me. I don't like that I react that way. I don't like that I respond that way. I don't like that I have those tendencies or those attitudes. 
And then you get to that place where you don't like yourself. And that manifests itself in another way as well, because some people will have to be around other people all the time. They have to be the center of attention. They have to be liked. They have to be accepted. And then when they get alone with themselves, they're not satisfied or whole because they don't like who they are. And so they have to round themselves with people to give them affirmation. And quite frankly, disappointment in yourself will create this thing where you don't value how God created you. Outwardly, it's quite obvious. God did not create me with hair. (laughs) And so let me outwardly make an illustration that we can get to this place like I would get to where, why didn't I get hair? Why didn't I? Look at Brandon. Brandon's got all this hair and I don't have it. So we could get to that place of comparison to other people, but we do it inwardly. We do it inwardly where we don't, we, don't, we don't value how God created us. God did not create us all the same. Here's the part of, of being disappointed in, one, in oneself is that God designed you to be you. Quit trying to compare what he designed somebody else to be them. If he wanted you to be that way, he would have made sure that you had it. But because you don't have it, then don't try to gain that or, or drag that over into your pile. disappointment overlooks what God has blessed and graced you with and focused on what you, what didn't go right. This is epidemic by mass proportions where people are not thankful for what the Lord has given them. And then they also think that because the Lord hasn't given them all these things, that there must be something in their lives that has gone awry. And because it's gone awry, there must be something wrong with me that I didn't deserve or I didn't gain that in my life. Instead of saying, no, you know, Lord, I've been blessed. I've been graced by you. I need nothing else. And if I needed something else, you would make sure that I got it. Let me read you a little parable. I'm sorry, I missed one of your fill-ins. Your next fill-in is right here, is that you were never designed to carry disappointment. You were never designed to that. So we can say without a shadow of a doubt that if disappointment is trying to harbor in our lives and especially disappointment in ourselves, you were never designed to carry that, never designed to carry it. Let me show you real quickly. Luke 13, by the end of the night, and I've got about 15 minutes to wrap this up. By the end of the night, I'm going to show you what God does. Oh, look at your neighbor say, mm-hmm. Luke 13, 6, Jesus told a parable. Now, when Jesus tells a parable, he's telling like a... Um, an illustrated story to put across a point. He says, a man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard and he came to look at the tree and found none. So here's what happened is this man owns a vineyard. He comes to the vineyard to inspect the trees in his vineyard. He comes to the fig tree that should be producing figs and he sees that it did not, and he found them. Verse seven, he told the vineyard worker, this is a person that works for him. He said, now listen, for three years, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and have not found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? Jesus is telling something right here. He's not telling something specifically about a fig tree or a vineyard worker or a vineyard owner, he's trying to put across a point about what's going on here. And his point starts with that the owner of the vineyard comes to a place that should be producing. He finds nothing being produced there. And so he tells the worker, cut it down. Watch what the worker does. Jesus is making a point. 
The worker replied, sir, leave it this year, this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Verse nine, perhaps it will bear fruit next year, but if not, you can cut it down. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that there will be times in our life that are going to be barren. I'm going somewhere with this, that we don't see anything being produced in our lives. That's what I was talking about, that comparison, is that you can compare yourself and see what people have and where they're going and what they're doing and who they're around, and all of a sudden you say, well, I don't have that. I'm not going those places. I don't have those kind of friends. I'm not hanging around with those type of people, and you will have a sense of that I must be in a barren place, and God's making a point right here through this, is that he said, I want to, I want, the worker of the vineyard says, I want to get to a place Owner, father, I want to get to a place where you let me dig around it and fertilize it. What do you do when you've disappointed yourself? This is something that's not often addressed because people don't want to talk about it. They don't want, because anytime you deal with self disappointment, you got to deal with your own. What we, what we do in disappointment is we allow the Lord to bring restoration into our lives. Now, let me illustrate something really quickly. I've got all my stuff over here. Is that the, my old lady bag. If I didn't have these bags, I don't know what I'd do. Here's what happens is that the Lord is working in our lives. Let me get all my stuff out. And then Melinda threw these nails in here and I can't find them. Thank you, Melinda. So here's our lives represented by maybe this wood right here. And the owner or the worker of the vineyard tells the owner, let me work with this tree. And I'm going to illustrate what he said in just a minute when he said, I'm going to dig around it and fertilize it. But here's what happens in our own life when it comes to disappointment. And we go to the Lord, especially when we're in that barren season where it doesn't seem like life is producing anything. Well, let me tell you what's happening in our lives. The Lord is working on us. But who enjoys being sawed on? <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? Where God is working on you and you're like, this is not fun. And then he says, and I'm going to build stuff out of you. And here we go. And like, ouch. Better not go all the way through. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way where God is working on you and he's pulling things out of you? That left a hole. Has God ever pulled something out of you? Here's another step. Has God ever pulled someone out of you that left a hole? Lots of times that God moves in our lives. I can say without a shadow of a doubt that God has pulled people out of my life because he knew that wasn't where he was taking me. How many people in your life has he pulled up? You say, oh, no, 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 they just moved away. Or we stopped being friends or, or something happened. Oh, no, 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 darling. They might have moved away. They might have stopped texting you. They might have stopped calling you, but that was God moving them out of your life. Here's the part of being mature is when you can look back on those relationships and say, thank you, God, that you moved them on. And what is that? Ow! When he's working on us. 
Those times of barrenness are not always the most fun times that we say, yay, God is pulling stuff out of my life. I'm so excited. Okay, don't let me get going here. He will, your next feeling, he will dig up the root that has tried to anchor your life to disappointment. Did you notice that the, the worker of the vineyard said, I'll dig around that root. He didn't say, I'll fluff the leaves or I'll whisper to the branches. He said, I'm going straight for the roots. And how many things in our life has gone, God gone straight for the roots on it? that we saw it as personal disappointment, that we saw it as personal tragedy, that we saw it as a personal letdown, and God was the whole time telling us, that was me working in your life because what you were in the middle of, middle of was unfruitful and barren. Oh, this is, I was like, can we have a better, better sermon than this one? God knows us better than we know ourselves that's what the worker of the vineyard was saying. The worker of the, he's saying, I know what it's going to take to get you where we need to be. Here's the cool part about, a, about what the worker of that vineyard was doing. He said, I'm going to work on that tree to get that tree to a place where it is fruitful again. And I wonder how many times in our lives that God looks at us and says, I'm going to get you to a place where you're fruitful again. He is, com- why? Because he is committed to our success. Success, God's realm of success is not what you drive or how much you own or how much money is in your account or who knows you or your popularity or anything like that. God's success is liking who he made you to be. This is the, the funny part about God working on you is that sometimes it's not very fun and it's painful and it's not enjoyable, but when he's working on you, he is crafting his masterpiece, not ours his masterpiece. And we may feel that we're barren and that we're not producing, but God's like, "Mm -mm, no, 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 no. I'm about to make you more fruitful, more productive, more useful for my glory. Is somebody helping me with this? The enemy wants nothing more than for you to dislike yourself. Here's Here's the deal on this. If the enemy can get you there, He doesn't have to use any other weapon against you. If he can get you to just a place of not being satisfied with who you are and making an account for all the things you've done wrong, then he has has to use no other weapon against you to make you ineffective. All he has to do is get you to focus on what you've let yourself down with. God is fulfilling the dreams that he has for our lives right now. That as he's crafting, and and this is crude to be using wood and all this, but as he's crafting us, this is the cool part of God, as he's crafting us, the the vision of what we are to be is in the master's eye. The vision of his plan for us is before him as he is crafting us. 
And he's not only committed to our success, but is he is committed to the success that he's called himself to do in finishing the work that he's given us. And I'm going to show you that in a second. God is equipping us for what is in his heart for our lives. If we are real with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, we will understand that there are things and people and stuff in our lives that God gets to a place where he will remove them from our lives because he is, that is per- prohibiting or keeping our heart from his heart. And so a lot of times we see it as self-disappointment and, and, and not living up to what we should be living up to, but God often sees it as him turning our hearts back to him. Philippians 1, 6 says this. It says, for I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in me will carry it to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And I've highlighted right here that he has started a good work in me. Here's the cool part about God is that if he starts a work, he will finish the work. Philippians 2.13, just the next chapter over, says, Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating into you, I love this, the power and the desire. This is where we lack stuff when we deal with self-disappointment is that we don't tend to have the desire to go forward and do great things for the Lord because we're so preoccupied with how we've disappointed ourselves. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm effectually at work in you. And because I'm effectually at work in you, I'm going to make sure that I give you my power and I'm going to give you my desire both to will and to work for his pleasure and satisfaction and delight. That as God is working on us, Now, wait right here, because a lot of times we can think, how am I going to get myself into a place where God will work on me? He already is. He's already at work in you. He's already faithful to complete what he started. We have to just get to the place. God's not taking coffee breaks with us. Oh, get to them next week. Oh, get when they get their attitude right, then I'll start. No, he's effectually at work in us right now. The only gap, the only thing, the missing connection, the only thing that we aren't seeing is that our realization that he's at work in us. And when we have that realization that God is at work in me, then I'm really not so impressed anymore with all my failures and all my disappointments. Sometimes the tough times work the most effectual in our lives. That there, there are times in our lives that are just plain old-fashioned tough, and it's God using us. Now, let me show you something real quick in that uh, Luke verse. Because he said, the, the worker of the vineyard said, I will dig around it, and I will fertilize it. Can, can I show you what it says in the King James? Watch what it says in the King James. It says, and I shall dig about it and dung it. Does anybody need help? He said, I will dig around it. This is fertilizer right here. And I can promise you whatever kind of fertilizer this is. How many of you like see real fertilizer? I don't know why this is for like, you know what it is? It's poop. Real, real fertilizer. It's poop. And this worker of the vineyard said, 
I'm going to dig around it and then I'm going to take a dump on it. And I was reading that. I was like, that's exactly how I feel sometimes. That I have been dug around and I've been pooped on. Is anybody a witness in this place that you just went through some times and it's like, somebody just took a dump on me. (laughs) And isn't that funny that God would say, he could have said something else. He could have said, I'll care for it. I'll make it better. No, he says in this parable, I'm going to get down to the roots and I'm going to break up what's, what's, uh, rocky and uh, hard and unproductive. And then after I do that, I'm going to tape some poop and I'm going to put it on it. And then I thought about that. Some of the biggest times that I've grown, it felt like somebody took a dump on me. Am I ministering to anybody in this house tonight? That some of the toughest things that we made it through We made through the tough times because it felt like somebody pooped on us. And when they pooped on us, it made us draw closer to God. I'm jumping ahead in my notes. Made us draw closer to him because little did they know that when they took a dump on me, God decided I'm going to use that for fertilizer and cause you to grow. That it doesn't matter what I've done or what somebody else has done or what has happened to me, that God is committed to see me through whatever it is by his lordship, by his craftiness, by his care over me. Tough time. What, you want to know why? Have you, like I said, have you ever felt like you've just been pooped on? You want to know why you go tough through tough times sometimes? Because tough times get our attention. Tough times make us wake up. Tough times cause our hearts, this is going to minister, cause our hearts to look to God. When everything's great, when everything's going wonderfully, when everybody's treating us nicely, when we feel all good about ourselves inside, we don't look to God in those times, but when all hell is breaking loose and it's all falling apart, then we come saying, God! And he's like, I'm going to put some fertilizer on you. Thank God for the fertilizer. Tough times, oh, tough times work the imperfections out of our lives. Is anybody else in this place that you went through a tough time and you were a different person on the other side of it than you were when you, before you went through it? Why? I'm going to cause that dude to do something good on you. Can, can you thank God for the, for the turds? Lord, I thank you. I thank you. This, this is a good thing right here. Tough times create a disfas- dissatisfaction to stay in the same place in life. You know, you, have you felt recently like I have? Can it just slow down? Can it just, can everybody just chill for a little while? 
can everybody just calm down? And what, but you know what? In the recent history of, of seeing all that, that it has not let me stay in the same place. I wanted to. I wanted to just sit there and I guess rub the poop in my head or something. I don't know what I want to do, but I just wanted to chill. But that creates a dissatisfaction inside of us to move us on into what God has for us. Allie, if you'll come down. 1 Thessalonians 2.3 says, this is why we constantly thank God because when we received the message about God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the message of God. Watch what? Which also works effectually in you believers. We want the smooth working of God in our lives. We want the gentle, the gentle working of God in our lives. We want the easy. I don't, I don't think God has ever worked in my life in significant manner that it was ever easy. It was always tough. But if he's working in my life, he's changing me. Amen? Matthew 3, 16 16 says this. After Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming down on him. Watch what happens in the next verse, verse 17. And the Father came with a voice from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, and it says, I take delight in him. That what is God doing in my life? He is shouting from the heavens over my life and over your life, shouting to us, I take delight in you. Now, this was on the road to a cross. Three years later, this was on a road to a cross. So it certainly wasn't that Jesus was about to go through peaches and cream because his father took delight in him, but it was about to go through a tough time of three years of impactful ministry that God declared at the front end of it, I am with you and I take great delight in you. Here's the thing about God, and I can't remember that this is that he loves us too much to let us stay where we are. Even if I wasn't being prepared for his glory, which I believe every person in this room is in that preparation state, but I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves us too much to let us sit in our self-disappointment, but commits himself not just commits his word, not just commits his favor, not just commits his grace, he commits himself to crafting us what he wants us to be. God loves me as I am. And God loves me enough to not leave me where I am. God loves me enough to move me closer to his heart. And God's desire is that I be more like him, not the identity of my disappointments. Luke 12, 7 says, Indeed, 
the hairs of your head are counted, which is very comical in my situation. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many, many sparrows, which to you may not be very impressive that God counts our hairs, but to me, for my situation, but somebody like Miranda over here that's got beautiful, long, thick hair, that's a lot of counting to do. But Jesus' point was this, is that not just that he has our current hair numbered, but he's got all the one that's on your bathroom floor, that numbered, all that's gone down their drain numbered, every part of your, every hair that's ever come, gone, or will come, he's got them numbered, not because he's in this place that he's just fanatical about hair counting, but he's trying to make a point to you in Luke, and that point is, I know you better than you know you. So if he is at work in my life, wouldn't it make sense that he knows best where to get me where I need to be? And that any disappointment or any personal failure or anything that I might place on myself is all working together for his effectual work and craftsmanship of what he's doing in my life and he is personally committed to your success. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is anyone in this house today that you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life? We just want to assume that everybody knows the Lord, but if that's you and saying, Jonathan, I need the Lord in my life. I want to pray for you right where you sit. I'm not going to ask you to come to the forward. I'm not going to draw attention to you. I want to pray for you right where you're at. And if that's you saying, could I have that prayer, Jonathan? I need Jesus into my life. Raise your hand where I can see it. And then you can put it right back down. Anybody want to receive that prayer tonight? Here's the second question. Is anyone in this house that your heart is away from the Lord right now? I want to pray for you too, right where you're seated. And if you'd like that prayer, be led in that prayer, just simply raise your hand where I can see it and say, Jonathan, could I have that prayer? And then you can put your hand right back down. Anyone in the house? Let's all, let me pray over you. Father, I pray right now over every person in this room. And I believe that you are crafting and creating and working all things together for our good. And God, I ask you to give us an assurance and an awareness and being keen to the fact that you are doing good things in our life. And God, anything that's painful, anything that's, discomfort, that's uncomfortable, anything that causes me a little bit of wincing, that it's because you're working in me, that you're moving things in my life, that you're shaping things in my life that you're crafting things in my life. The saw, the hammer, the, the shovel, it's not always a pleasant thing, but you are moving things in my life. And I'm just grateful for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. He's good, amen. Chasten, I saw this in the spirit just as we were praying that. There are men in your future that you're going to show the ways of the Lord to. That there's going to be men in your future that are going to come to you and Libby and, and family and say, our home is a mess. Our marriage is a mess. Our, our lives are a mess. Personal lives are a mess. 
And you're going to show those men how to be men, how to be godly men. Just, and just open your life to what the Lord is doing and saying. And I just, I just believe that God's going to use an openness of your spirit, an openness of your heart to help men that right now don't think they're going to make it. That right now think that there's no hope for their marriage, no hope for their children, no hope for their job, no that you're going to minister to that are going to come to you in Libby and say, you know, help us. And you're going to be able to show them the way of the Lord. You're going to be able to say, just trust the Lord. This is how you trust the Lord. This is how you lean on him. This is how you apply his spirit to your house. This is how you apply his word to your house. This is how you pray as a couple. But just God hit me on that one. You're going to show, you and Libby are going to show people how to pray as couples. Get ready for it. Start studying together. Start praying together. Get notes together. Get ideas together. Get a spiral. Write those down. And God's going to show you how to train couples to pray together. Ooh, this is good. Amen. He's good. Amen. Amen.